You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. So um, the other day I was in the kitchen and I heard a couple of my daughters uh, getting into a little uh, battle of wills. It's normal. It happens like a hundred times a day in our house. Uh, we've got five kids, so you never know which one is going to you know, come against the other, where, the, where a fight's going to break out. But there's a lot of iron, sharpening iron, if we're going to put it in good, like Christian terms um, in our house. Um, but anyway, I, I'm, I'm listening to my five-year-old get into a, a scuffle with my eight-year-old, these two daughters of mine. And I come out of the kitchen, and I look, and it's, it's kind of... Um, What's the word? Accelerated. It's uh, intensified. Escalated. There's the word. Sunday morning, the thesaurus is turning on now. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it it escalated. And I watched my five-year-old daughter smack her sister in the face. (laughs) Her eight-year-old. Yes, that's right, people. It happens even at the pastor's house. That sweet little hand that she uses to pet the dog and play with her dolls, I saw her just give the five-fold ministry of sit down. (laughs) Straight on her sister's face. And um, that obviously, as a dad, frustrates me. And so, but I, I took a moment, and after I stepped past my own anger in the moment, I, uh, I let my five-year-old know that's not how we handle things. Hitting is never the option. It's never how we respond. And then I led them through our kind of family version of an apology and reconciliation. And I reminded my sweet five-year-old, and I reminded her who she is. I said, honey, you are kind. You're patient. You're a good girl. But this time I asked her and I said, did you forget that you're a good girl? And tears started coming. And I asked her, did you forget that you love your sister? Tears started pouring from her face. The good kind of tears. See, she knew that she was safe and godly sorrow, a type of godly sorrow was hitting her little five-year-old heart and truth was breaking in reminding her that she is actually good, but her behavior wasn't. She is good, but her behavior, she behaved below her identity. And now, and now she gets to clean up her mess, which is empowering, right? Ashley and I, we, when our kids mess up, we try to remind them who they are and give them choices for reconciliation and for cleaning up their mess. And I, I like to remind them who they are. Even, even at bedtime, when I'm tucking them in, I'll go through the adjectives that I love about them. Like, you're funny and smart and beautiful and you're kind and, and you're witty. And, and, I, and, and I'll speak to their identity and I, I'll often say, I love you no matter what you do. Um, because we all know that there is a big difference between knowing that we did something that was not good 
and feeling that we ourselves are not good. It's a huge difference. And I have a question for all of us this, this morning. Um, did we forget that God called us good? Did we forget that we were made in his likeness? I can, I can show it to you. It's right there in, in Genesis chapter 1. This is Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God made us like him and made us to function like him, to rule and have dominion like he does. And we get to co-labor with him in that endeavor. And then if you skip to verse 31, this is God kind of summing up the day after he made man. He said, God saw all he had made and it was very good. So it's not just that he made us good, he made us very good and in his likeness. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So he made us in his image and he called us very good. He made us in his likeness, but something happened, right? Something happened and, and Eve was deceived and fell into sin. And I want to read that. This is in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 13. I'm going to turn there. Genesis 3, 1. So the, the Lord had told Adam and Eve, they could eat from all the trees of the garden except for this one, the knowledge of good and evil. So this is Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden you must not touch it or you will die. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the, to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this thing 
that you've done. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. See, Eve fell into the same trap that so many of us, that all of us have fallen into at one time or another. She was deceived into taking something for herself that God had already given her. Attempting to get through her own effort that which was a gift from God. See, the temptation was, if you eat this tree, you'll be like God. But wasn't she already made like God? Question, what, what if the father, when he found that Adam and Eve, what if he didn't see them any differently? But they saw themselves differently. And they saw the father differently. What if he was heartbroken that their perception of him had changed so much that they thought they needed to hide from the one, from him who they used to walk with in the cool of the day? Can you imagine the heartbreak that a father would feel when his son and daughter now think that he's unsafe? Sin is deceitful, and Eve was deceived by the father of lies, the most cunning of all. Many of us, including me, I know that this is the kind of thing that sneaks up on you where we get back into a place where we're trying to earn what we've already been given. We're trying to get to where we've already been seated. But the damage was done. Sin came in, and what sin did is it darkened their minds. It gave them a futile thinking, and it brought futility into creation. Um, so how would you guys define sin? Like when my daughter hit her sister, she sinned, right? It was a sinful action, sinful behavior. What she did, she made a worthless trade. She traded connection with her sister, who she loves, for the momentary gratification of exacting vengeance or releasing her anger in that moment. And she did it to someone she actually loves. See, sin is more than bad choices, though. See, these bad choices come from somewhere inside. Sin is like a mental disease of the soul. Sin, what sin does is it opens our eyes in a bad way. And it is a self-perception twister, and it's a God-perception distorter. But the visible symptoms of sin are very easy to identify. And you can work all your life to force those symptoms into remission so no one sees the outbreaks when they appear on you. But those tactics might have an appearance of wisdom, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence, Colossians 2, right? So something has to happen within to change our perception back to what it originally was. In C.S. Lewis's 
Chronicles of Narnia, which is a series of amazing books. In, in one of them, it's called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, you know, there are these four siblings who get pulled into this magical realm, this heavenly realm called Narnia. And um, in Narnia, the Jesus character is a lion named Aslan. And he shows these four siblings that, who they actually are, that they're royalty. See, in, in this world, they just feel like they're just kids, you know, full of angst and mistakes and struggling through life. But they get pulled into the heavenly realm and the Jesus character shows them, hey, you're meant to rule. But one of the, one of the boys, Edmund, he was acting like a selfish kid and he secretly found his way into Narnia after his little sister Lucy did, but before his older siblings did. And he met the white witch who calls herself the queen of Narnia, who deceived him into betraying his siblings with the temptation that he would become royalty under her rule when he was already royalty in Aslan's eyes. See, Edmund didn't know that he was already considered royalty by the true king. And so he sold out his siblings. And after selling out his siblings and Aslan to the witch, he is imprisoned by her. He's become held in bondage to the one who promised him royalty when he was already royalty. Are you starting to see the commonality between this Narnia story and the deception that Eve fell under. And uh, Ashley pointed this out to me when I was talking to her about what I was going to share this morning. And she said, it reminds me of when Jesus was in the wilderness. He's actually, he, in the temptation, he's actually king. But the serpent, the deceiver, Satan, comes to him and says, if you bow to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. But Jesus knew he was going to re-inherit all the kingdoms of the world in just a matter of time. The right way under his father. And so he turned down the offer of royalty under the usurper's rule because he knew that he was royalty already under the king's rule. So Edmund, he's screwed up and he's in bondage to the white witch. But Aslan's warriors free Edmund anyway from the witch's camp and bring him into the king's camp. But the white witch marches into Aslan's camp to reclaim her prize. And I wanted to show some videos today. It's a video-heavy day. We're going to show uh, some videos from the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I want to, uh, if there's any kids in here, there's some creepy critters in here. I don't, I don't actually see any kids, but if you do have any kids, you might cover their eyes. I don't know if, if you think they're ready for The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But let's play that first video, please, Chris. name is Philip. Oh, sorry. The witch has demanded a meeting with Aslan. She's on her way here. Zadis, the queen of Narnia, oh, 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 
Have a traitor in your midst, Aslan. His offense was not against you. Have you forgotten the laws upon which Narnia was built? Do not cite the deep magic to me, witch. I was there when it was written. Then you'll remember well that every traitor belongs to me. His blood is my property. Try and take him then. <laughs> Mere force will deny me my right. Little king. Aslan knows that unless I have blood as the law demands, all of Narnia will be overturned and perish in fire and water. That boy will die on the stone table. As is tradition. You dare not refuse me. Enough. I shall talk with you alone. She has renounced her claim on the son of Adam's blood. How do I know your promise will be kept? <laughs> oh, good, right? So what no one in that crowd knows yet, but they're going to come to understand, is that Aslan offered to trade his life for the traitor, Edmund. Because even in our sin and deception, Papa loves us so much that he would become our substitute and take our place. That he would give his life for us. So Aslan, uh, that evening, walks to this altar called the Stone Table, where the witch and her minions are waiting to kill him. They bind him, they shave off his mane, and they prepare to, to kill him. And again, there's some creepy critters in this next video, but we're gonna show this um, section.
Did you honestly think by all this that you could save the human traitor? You are giving me your life and saving no one. <laughs> so much for love. Lucy and Susan witnessing this moment where their hero, for some reason, is laying down his life. And I'm sure that they were confused, just like the disciples were. Lucy and Susan, those two daughters, they remind me a lot of Mary and Mary, Mary of Bethany, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, but they, they were the first ones to the tomb. They were, the, they were at the cross. And, um, you know, after you know, Lucy and Susan witness Aslan's death, but they stay there until all the bad guys disperse, um, just like Mary, you know, go into the tomb. And I'm going to play the, the last video here for you guys.
witch knew the true meaning of sacrifice, she might have interpreted the deep magic differently. That when a willing victim who has committed no treachery is killed in a traitor's stead, the stone table will crack, and even death itself would turn backwards. We sent the news that you were dead. Peter and Edmund will have gone to war. We have to help them. We will, dear one, but not alone. Climb on my back. We have far to go, and little time to get there. And you may want to cover your ears. Woo, Jesus. Yeah. When Jesus breathed his last, the temple curtain was torn in two. He, when he said, it is finished, he fulfilled the law and the prophets and his innocent life was used to ransom, metaphorically ransom nations by his blood. Aslan used the white witch's rage against her, just like Jesus used death against death. It's almost like spiritual jujitsu. See, Jesus saw all the rage and wrath and, and death coming at him from the enemy's camp. And he, and he let it hit him. And all of a sudden, they realized that death is stuck in the grave. And with the power of love and life inside Jesus, he breaks down the gates of death and rises from the grave. And on the, on the cross, Jesus made mention of our great deception, the deception that Eve and Adam had fallen under, the deception that Edmund had fallen under, the deception that my daughter, my five-year-old, had fallen under. And he said these beautiful words, and just complete this phrase for me, because I know you guys all know it. Father, forgive them for... Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Forgive them. They've forgotten who they are. Forgive them. They know not that they are loved. I've forgotten who I am before. Even, even recently. And, you know, don't worry. I didn't go on a sin bender. You know, your pastor didn't end up in the back of a police car or anything. It's, it's more subtle, more covert than that. This deception is sneaky, and no matter how, you, how long you walk as a free son or daughter, the enemy is always looking for an opportunity to twist your perception and get you back into this position of earning the good things that God has already given us. And for a while, I, I lived beneath my nobility in that place that the sin disease of the mind employed shame, fear, and control against me and through me, and I lost sleep from anxiety. I distanced myself from friends. But Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, through good friends, and through my faithful wife, he helped me wake up to the reality of who I really am. And I know, I know that sin is a disease of the soul and of the mind. It's more than just a behavior issue. I know personally that it's an identity issue. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Colossians 1.21, Paul puts it like this. 
We were enemies of God in our minds. Did the Father consider us his enemies? It seems more to me that his struggle has never been against flesh and blood. But if we believe it, then we feel it and we act as if that is our reality. If sin was a behavior issue, he would have sent the great rebuker, the great corrector, the great judge, but he sent the great physician. And even when his best friends were acting like racist murderers wanting to kill a people group with fire from heaven that they didn't like, Jesus did not seize that opportunity to punish them, but he showed them they were deceived by a spirit. And he said, you don't know what spirit you're of. And that kind physician once again drew out the poison from their hearts. See, any parent in here, any parent in here, we know that when our kid is sick, if our kid gets sick and they're not getting miraculously healed, we would do anything to take that sickness for them, wouldn't we? I've held my sick kids in my arms Afraid because I didn't know if they were going to get healed and I've actually said, Lord, put it on me. See, we needed a father who would carry our affliction. He bore the weight of our sin disease and he took it into the grave. And that's where he left it. And now we can know that we are royalty, we are loved, we are ransomed, we have a father we can trust, we don't have to fear death, and we can stop trying to attain the sonship and daughtership we've already been given. If the rulers of this age knew what they were doing, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory, because just like the white witch, they triggered resurrection life and the healing of us all. I know I'm not the only one who has attempted or even re like recently fallen into the deception of that striving, that performance, trying to, like Eve, get in my own strength what's meant to be given or already given from the Father. And maybe there are people in here who've, like me, forgotten their identity um, you know we we worship and pray because he's worthy but in that place of worship and prayer amazing things often happen you guys might see me weeping in his presence during worship and almost every time almost every time I'm weeping because he's reminding me who I actually am Sometimes he's showing me something beautiful about him. But that, that sin disease is so sneaky, always trying to get back into our minds that when we come and worship, you know, we get things by singing to him that we never get by just thinking. That's why worship is so powerful. It like bypasses the watchful dragons of our mind. 
if anyone in here wants the Lord to draw some of that poison out, I just invite you to stand with me. Some of that poison thinking, some of that poison of performance, some of that poison that's caused anxiety, some of that poison that's caused us to doubt our identity as sons and daughters. And just as an act of faith, would you take one of your hands and just place it on your head? You know, sometimes just doing something physical activates something that God wants to do spiritually and emotionally. Lord, right now, to touch our minds, would you show us in a new way that we've been given the mind of Christ, that we've been seated in heavenly places, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing that is in Jesus? Would you show us again that we are no longer servants or slaves, but you call us friends. Would you show us again that we've been bought at a price, that we belong to you, that we are sons and daughters? And would you cause a new level of joy to rise up in our hearts from this place as happy kids in your house? In Jesus' mighty name, amen.